As I mentioned in the introduction to last week's message, one of the most confusing aspects of the Christian life for some believers is the subject of the Christian's relationship to the Old Testament law. Are we obligated to keep or obey the 613 commandments of the Old Testament? How much of it are we obligated to obey? All of it? Some of it? Part of it? If we are obligated to obey part of it, then what part of it? Do we have the right to divide up the Old Testament law and say, well, we're under this part, but we're not under that part? During the time when our Lord was ministering here on earth, there was no doubt about the answer to those questions. The answer was clearly this. All of the Old Testament law was binding, which meant that even Jesus needed to obey it in its totality. And Jesus did obey all of the Old Testament law with exactness. That is important to keep in mind as we come to the text we'll be considering together this morning. Turn with me in your Bible, please, to Mark chapter 2, the second gospel account, the second chapter, Mark chapter 2. And please follow along as I read verses 23 through 28. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. Now it happened that he, of course the, the he being Jesus... Now it happened that Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he answered and said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and ate the showbread which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him? And Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. As I stated before reading this text, when this event took place, all of the Old Testament law was still binding. Jesus lived his life under the Old Covenant. The dietary laws were binding. The Sabbath laws were binding. The feasts and festivals were all mandatory. The various temple sacrifices were all mandatory. All of the Old Testament law was binding. That is a very significant fact. I don't know of any Christian who believes the Bible that would say the same thing is true today. What I mean is, I don't know of any Christian who would say that all the dietary laws are still binding, all the Sabbath laws are still binding, all the feasts and festivals are still mandatory, and all the various temple sacrifices are still mandatory. I don't know of any Christian who would make such a claim. But, but, what many Christians do is they pick and choose what 
parts of the Old Testament law they believe that are still binding today and which parts are not. Some Christians say we are not obligated to offer all the various temple sacrifices, but we are still obligated to keep the various feasts and festivals, and we are obligated to obey the dietary laws, and we are obligated to obey the Sabbath laws. That's one view. Still others would say, no, we don't have to offer the various temple sacrifices, and we don't have to keep the various feasts and festivals, but we are obligated to obey the dietary laws and the Sabbath laws. That's another view. Still others would say, no, no, we don't have to offer the various temple sacrifices, and we don't have to keep the various feasts and festivals, and we aren't obligated to obey the dietary laws, but we do have to keep the Sabbath. Do you see how confusing this gets? Whenever I hear Christians proposing such views, my thought is always the same. I wonder who gave them the authority to arbitrarily divide up the Old Testament law that way to say that we are under these aspects of it, but we are not under those aspects of it. Beloved, that is not the view that is presented in the pages of the New Testament. The New Testament teaches us, and especially Jesus himself, that he came to fulfill the law of God. And that is exactly what Jesus did. He fulfilled the law of God, and having fulfilled it, he ushered in a new era. Let me explain what I mean. According to Jesus' own words in Matthew 5.17, he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. That was the exact phrase he used. He came not to destroy, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. That phrase, the law and the prophets, refers to the entirety of the Old Testament Scripture, the entirety of the Old Covenant. Jesus came to fulfill all of it. He fulfilled it by virtue of the fact that he taught it accurately. Just consider the Sermon on the Mount. He fulfilled it by virtue of the fact that he lived it perfectly. And he fulfilled it by virtue of the fact that he died to pay the penalty demanded for disobedience. Jesus was the embodiment of all the types and all the symbols contained in the sacrifices and the feasts and the festivals. Everything that pointed to him, he fulfilled. He taught God's he taught God's intention in the law when he would say, like in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said by your rabbis, but I say to you, in other words, this is what you've been taught. It's not accurate. Here is what God meant by his law. So Jesus taught people God's intention in the law, and he fleshed it out in his life and in his ministry. Once he had fulfilled the law and the prophets, he did something revolutionary. He instituted a new era. Or to use the biblical terminology, he instituted a new covenant. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. That is a summary statement of what Jesus did, what he accomplished in his life and in his death and in his resurrection. The law was given through Moses, but Jesus has brought in a new system or the new covenant. 
The night before his death, Jesus announced to his disciples that he was instituting a new covenant. Luke twenty two twenty says, Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Jesus was announcing by that statement that when he shed his blood, he was inaugurating the new covenant. He was instituting, starting the new covenant. Jesus fulfilled the old covenant and instituted the new covenant when he died. In light of the fact that he knew he was going to do this, it was extremely important for him to state that he had not come to destroy the law and the prophets. He came to fulfill them, and he did. Then he instituted the new covenant. It is clear from the teaching of the New Testament that since Jesus has fulfilled the law, the law has now been abrogated or set aside, whatever term you prefer. It's not that the Old Testament is thrown out as something that is bad or something that's wrong. But since Jesus has fulfilled all the law perfectly and has established the new covenant, it is the new covenant that we are under today. Sometimes people will ask me why I preach out of the New Testament more than out of the Old Testament. Is it because I don't like the Old Testament? Anyone who knows me knows that is not the case. I love Hebrew Scripture, and I love the Hebrew language. Do I preach out of the New Testament because I think it is more inspired? Absolutely not. All Scripture is the very breath of God. All Scripture is the Word of God. So why do I preach out of the New Testament more than out of the Old Testament? The answer is this. Because we, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are under the new covenant today and we're not under the old covenant. Therefore, it is essential, absolutely essential, that we understand the new covenant so we know how to please God and how He wants us to live. It is the new covenant that we are under today, not the old covenant, not the Mosaic law. The Lord relayed this fact to Peter in Acts 10. When Peter saw a sheet descending from heaven with all kinds of animals in it that formerly had been unclean. Those animals had been unclean under the Mosaic law. It was sinful to eat those animals. But Peter heard a voice that said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. It is obvious that the Old Testament dietary laws had been set aside by that time, or else the Lord was tempting Peter with sin by telling him to eat. Did you catch that? It is obvious that the Old Testament dietary laws had been set aside by that time, or else the Lord was tempting Peter with sin by telling him to eat. The Scripture is clear in James 1.13 that God cannot tempt anyone to sin. God was not tempting Peter to sin when Peter was told to eat the animals that formerly had been unclean because Peter was no longer under the old covenant. Jesus fulfilled it. And then he instituted a new covenant. Romans 6.14 clearly states 
that we are not under law, but under grace. That is, we're not under the system of law, Mosaic law. We're under a new covenant. We're under a different system, a different covenant today. In Romans 7, 4 through 6, Paul goes into detail to explain that we have been released from the law to be married to Christ. Jesus did what we never could have done, and that is he perfectly kept and fulfilled the law of God, all of it. Now that that has been accomplished, we have been released from the law to be married to Christ. Now there are some Christians, whenever they begin to hear this kind of thing, they get really nervous. They say, what are you doing telling people we're not under the law? You're good. You're going to give people a license to sin. You're going to take away motivation for holiness and righteousness. And they get really nervous. So let me ask you a question. Which is a greater incentive to righteousness? Which is a greater incentive to righteousness? To tell someone you are under law or to tell someone you are married to Christ? The answer ought to be obvious. To tell someone you are married to Christ is a greater incentive to righteousness and holiness. Romans 10.4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. We are not made righteous before God by the law, and we don't live righteously by the law. We are not under the law. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law of God. He fulfilled it in his teaching. He fulfilled it in his life. And he fulfilled it in his death. He paid the full penalty of the law as the substitute for sinners. And once he had perfectly fulfilled the law of God, he inaugurated the new covenant. Someone might ask the question, and it's a legitimate question to ask and answer. Someone might say, well, listen, if Jesus did bring in the new covenant in place of the old covenant, then isn't there a sense in which he did away with the law and the prophets? Let me answer that question with an illustration. An illustration of an acorn. You can do away with an acorn by smashing it with a hammer, or you can do away with it by planting it in the ground and letting it fulfill itself by becoming an oak tree. Jesus did the latter. He didn't destroy the law by smashing it to pieces. He didn't throw it out. He didn't disregard it in his life, not by any means. He taught it. He lived it. He fulfilled it and accomplished it in his own life and death. Therefore, the covenant that we are under today looks very different. What used to be an acorn is now an oak tree. But when Jesus was here on the earth, the old covenant was still binding. It was still in place. It had to be obeyed, including the command about the Sabbath. That's very important to understand as we approach this passage here before us. Now this brings up another important point to understand before we jump into the text itself. And that that is this. Saturday is the Sabbath, not Sunday. Sunday. There is so much confusion among Christians on this very point. The Sabbath is Saturday. It always has been and always will be. God never 
Contrary to popular opinion in Christianity, God never changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Can't find a verse of Scripture that suggests that. God never changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday, as many Christians wrongly believe. Sunday is called in the New Testament the Lord's Day because it is the day on which our Lord Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why we meet together on Sundays. Not because it's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is Saturday. However, the Sabbath is a non-issue today because of passages like Romans 14, 5 and 6, Galatians 4, 9 and 10, Colossians 2, 16 and 17. But when Jesus was here on the earth, the Sabbath was a huge issue among the Jewish people. And one of the reasons why it was such a big deal is because the religious leaders of the day had added so many man-made rules to the command of God regarding the Sabbath. Well, as you can imagine, that set the stage for this conflict here in Mark chapter 2. So with all that in mind, let's look at this story together to see what Jesus did, to see what he said and to see the enduring truth that comes from this text of Scripture. Verse 23, Mark tells us, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. There are a couple of issues to deal with from this verse before we move into the rest of the story and get into the details of the story. First of all, let me emphasize again that this event took place on a Saturday, which is the Sabbath day. This did not take place on Sunday. The second thing that needs to be cleared up is what the disciples were doing when they were plucking the heads of grain and eating them. Did these grain fields belong to the disciples? The answer to the question, no. No. Then were the disciples stealing or taking something that didn't belong to them? The answer is no. Why? Because God's law specifically stated that gleaning handfuls of grain from a neighbor's field to satisfy your immediate hunger was acceptable. Deuteronomy 23:25 says this. If you enter your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands but you must not put a sickle to his standing grain. By the way, this is another illustration of the fact that the old covenant law is not the code by which we live today. I mean, just try walking through someone's grain field and plucking handfuls of grain as you go. When he sees you and objects, try laying Deuteronomy 23, 25 on him and see how he reacts. He would rightly reject your justification for stealing his grain. That would mean nothing to him. We'd say, you can't do that. But during Bible times, when the law of God in the Old Testament was still binding, this was a permissible practice. This was acceptable. So the disciples weren't doing anything wrong by plucking the heads of grain. They weren't stealing. They weren't taking something that they... They could not take or should not take. 
But what they were doing wrong in the opinion of the Pharisees was that they were working and violating the Sabbath command to keep the day holy by not working. That's what stirs up this controversy. So in verse 24, the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Notice those last three words, on the Sabbath. The Pharisees were not accusing the disciples of Jesus of stealing. They were not accusing the disciples of Jesus of doing something wrong by plucking a few handfuls of grain. No, that wasn't the issue. They were accusing the disciples of violating the Sabbath law that prohibited working. Grabbing the handfuls of grain, rubbing them together in their hands to separate out what could be eaten and could not be eaten, that was the issue to the Pharisees. That was working in their definition. When God gave the Ten Commandments, Exodus 28 through 10 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. Interestingly, this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that is never repeated or reiterated in the New Testament. The other nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated, which tells us that they transcend the Old Covenant on into the New Covenant. And this should not be surprising to us. Some of the things in the Old Covenant are repeated in the New Covenant. So when someone asks the question, how much of the Old Covenant law are we under today, there are two correct answers. One correct answer is none of it. We're not under any of it. It's been fulfilled, replaced by a new covenant. The other correct answer, answer number two, we are under the parts of the old covenant that are reiterated in the new covenant. And there are many of those. Nine of the Ten Commandments are reiterated in the New Testament, which tell us they transcend the Old Testament, the old covenant, on into the new covenant. But since the Sabbath command is never repeated never reiterated, and is actually repealed in the passages I mentioned earlier, Romans, Galatians, Colossians, it is not an issue to us in the new economy. You can work on Saturdays. That's not against the law of God to work on Saturday. However, it was still binding during Jesus' day. And the Pharisees were accusing Jesus' disciples of violating that command. Verse 25, But Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? Jesus was such a masterful teacher. As he always did throughout his ministry, Jesus again appealed to Scripture as the ultimate authority that settles all matters. You see that here? Jesus' response begins with the question, Have you never read? He posed the same question in Matthew 12, 3, Matthew 12, 5, Matthew 19, 4, Matthew 22, 31, Mark 12, 10. Have you not read? 
In other words, it was his way of saying, don't you know what the Bible has to say about this subject? Haven't you ever read your Bible? What a rebuke this was to the Pharisees who thought they were the experts on everything scriptural. Had they never read this event in the life of David? You know what? Maybe they hadn't. It may surprise you to hear that, but maybe they hadn't. Maybe they had spent so much time reading the rabbis and the commentaries that they failed to read the Scripture itself. That is exactly what many people have done down through the centuries. They read the rabbis, if they're Jewish, or if they're in Christendom, they read the priests or the fathers or the cardinals or the popes, but they don't read Scripture itself. This is what many Jewish people still do today. It may surprise you to hear this, but if you are a Christian who takes Scripture seriously and you read your Bible and you study your Bible, then in all likelihood you know the Old Testament better than 90% of Jewish people on planet Earth. Because you read your Bible. Most don't. They read the rabbis, the, 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 the fathers, the, the commentaries. And this is what many religious people do under the umbrella of Christendom. They don't really know what the Bible says. They they just read their religious leaders. But they don't read Scripture. Jesus' words are a rebuke to us for not knowing what we ought to know from Scripture. He says, have you never read? Don't you know what Scripture says about this? Verse 26, how he, referring to David how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which was not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. The event to which Jesus referred here is found back in 1 Samuel 21. It's a long story, so we won't go back and read all of it. Just let me summarize the story. David and his men were fleeing from King Saul, who was irrationally trying to kill David and anyone connected with him, anyone loyal to David, anyone who loved David or appreciated David. As a result of having to survive on the run, David and his men were out of food on this occasion. When they arrived at Nob, where the tabernacle was located, they asked the high priest for some food to avoid starvation. The priest informed them that the only bread was the showbread of the tabernacle. It's all they had on hand. Part of the ceremony of the tabernacle involved 12 loaves of unleavened bread being placed on the table in the sanctuary. And at the end of the week, they were replaced by fresh loaves of bread. The old loaves were then eaten by the priests. Only to be eaten by the priests. But on this occasion, the high priest sought the Lord and received approval to give the old loaves to David and his men, according to 1 Samuel 22.10. Jesus uses this example to point out the fact that life and death necessities took precedent over the ceremonial regulations concerning who could eat the consecrated bread. And he was pointing out the fact that the spiritual leaders of his day had once again missed the point. 
They had missed the point of God's law. They saw the letter of the law and misinterpreted it. They saw the letter of the law and misapplied it rather than seeing the intention of the law, the purpose of the law, the spirit of the law. God did not make a law concerning the priests eating the showbread so as to starve someone who had a legitimate need. That would be so convoluted, so distorted. Yet that is exactly the kind of thing the Pharisees had done with the law of God. They had distorted it. That's why they often took issue with Jesus as they were doing here. He lived it properly. He lived it accurately. But they twisted it, applied it wrongly. And so Jesus uses this example to say, you've missed the point again. You've missed the whole point about the Sabbath. Before we move on to verse 27, let me add one more word about this verse in case you are aware of an apparent discrepancy. Jesus here in verse 26 refers to Abiathar as the high priest when this event took place. But actually, Ahimelech was the priest at that time. So why did Jesus say Abiathar? Abiathar was Ahimelech's son. Ahimelech died shortly after this event, with the result that Abiathar took over and was high priest throughout all of David's reign. He was the one considered the high priest of David's era, even though Ahimelech was the high priest at the time of this event. But Abiathar was David's contemporary. He was the one who was the contemporary of David, and that is why Jesus refers to his days, during his time, his era. It was during his lifetime, his occupation of this of this uh, uh, role or this position that this unusual event took place. Then Jesus makes his point in verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, Jesus was saying, Listen, God gave the Jewish people the Sabbath day to give them a rest from their work and to be a blessing to them, a welcome reprieve for them, a change of pace for them. But the Pharisees had turned the Sabbath into a burden. They turned it into a burden by all the man-made rules they had added to the simple command of don't work, rest on the Sabbath. Rather than being a command for man's good and God's glory, It had become an unbearable burden that made life miserable, frankly, and continually prompted an unnecessarily guilty conscience. It had become a yoke of bondage. Those who tried to follow all the rules and regulations that the spiritual leaders had attached to God's simple Sabbath command found it to be an unbearable weight. It was impossible. It was a spider's web, if you will. It's just impossible to know even how to move what you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. The Pharisees emphasized the priority of external ceremony and religious ritual without any regard for the need of internal purity and the importance of a tender heart. They had it all wrong. All wrong. I mean, think about what's going on here. 
they were criticizing Jesus and his disciples who were so involved in serving God and ministering to people that they had to eat on the run. And what the disciples were doing wasn't wrong anyway. It wasn't wrong. And the reason why they were doing it was because of necessity due to their full schedule of ministry to the multitudes. But the Pharisees ignored all of that. All of it. They just wanted to find a reason to criticize this man who was such a threat to their exclusively external religion that completely ignored the heart. So I'm sure that this next statement did not sit very well with them. Verse 28. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Here Jesus was claiming that as God in human flesh, he had the authority to overrule all of their man-made regulations about the Sabbath. He wasn't merely another rabbi. He wasn't one of their peers. He is Lord. He is the Son of Man. That is a phrase that comes out of the Psalms and out of Daniel. It's a messianic title. He is the Messiah. He is Lord. As such... His view of the Sabbath law was right and theirs was wrong. His understanding of the Sabbath law was right, theirs was wrong. His interpretation of the Sabbath law was right, theirs was wrong. That's what Jesus was claiming by this statement. But he was claiming even more than that. He was not only claiming the authority to overrule their views and their interpretations, and their regulations, he was claiming to be more important than the Sabbath day itself. Now, unless you are Jewish, or unless you have a, have a good understanding of Jewish culture, you cannot imagine how shocking this statement by Jesus was, and still is, in Jewish circles. Jesus, think about it, Jesus was claiming to be more important than the Sabbath day itself. In Matthew's account of this story, Jesus claimed to be greater than the temple and more important than the Sabbath day. Beloved, there's there's no way I can explain to you how astronomical those claims were in that Jewish setting. It would be safe to say that those two things were two of the most highly esteemed aspects of life for the Jewish people. The temple and the Sabbath. Yet Jesus claimed to be greater than both. Indeed, he is greater than both. He is God in human flesh. He is Lord. He is the Son of Man the Messiah, Lord of the Sabbath, and Lord of all. How do you relate to him? What I mean is, have you submitted to him as Lord? Or are you like the Pharisees in that you are resisting him? Now understand something. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Sometimes in Christian circles, and we all understand what is meant by this, so we don't want to be too critical, but someone, sometimes people will be sharing their testimony or sharing their life story, and they'll say, well, I finally came to this point in my Christian life where I made Jesus Lord. 
That's not really accurate. You didn't make him Lord. Nobody makes him Lord. He is Lord. It's all, it's all a matter of how we relate to him. He is Lord. You can't make him Lord, but you and I must embrace him as Lord. If you don't embrace him as Lord, then you're resisting him. Maybe your resistance isn't as aggressive as the Pharisees because they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him because he claimed to be the Lord to whom they needed to submit. And frankly, they didn't want to submit to him. Maybe your resistance isn't aggressive like that. Maybe it's only passive. But understand something. Understand something. There's a sense in which it's all the same. You don't want to submit to him either, maybe, but you just passively dismiss his claims and go on with life. That's still resisting him. If you aren't willing to submit to Jesus as Lord, you are resisting him as Lord, aggressively or passively. But it's a sense, there's a sense in which it's all the same. The outcome is the same. Those who refuse to submit to him as Lord will be judged by him as Lord. So which will it be for you? Which way will you face Jesus? Having willingly embraced him as Lord or forced, as Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. You and I will acknowledge him as Lord one way or the other. It's whether it's willing or by force. Let's bow together as we close. As you bow your head this morning, we have a few minutes remaining here in our time together. And I want you to think about this story. And not merely the story, because certainly it has some Jewish peculiarities to it. Issues unique to the Jewish culture, issues unique to the setting of the first century, because in most Christian circles, there's not a big fight over the Sabbath, though in some there, is, there are those disputes, usually because of confusion on what day the Sabbath is. But all that aside, we need to see where Jesus led this conversation, what it came to. It came to this pinnacle statement where he says, therefore, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's the point that Jesus wanted to make. As I mentioned in Matthew's account, he claimed to be greater than the temple, greater than the Sabbath. That is not a claim that was out of line. It wasn't extreme. Indeed, he is greater than the temple, greater than the Sabbath. He is the Son of Man the Lord, the King of kings, and Lord of lords. So I ask you again this morning, how do you stand with him? How do you relate to Jesus? He is Lord. Is he your Lord? Have you embraced him as Lord? Or are you resisting him as Lord? Resisting him maybe just passively by ignoring him, or maybe aggressively. Where do you stand? How do you relate to the Lord Jesus? If there's any resistance in your heart, any resistance in your life, deal with that now. Let go of that now. Surrender to Jesus as Lord now. 
today, this moment. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus. What a, what a thrill it is to observe him week in and week out in the pages of the gospel accounts, to see how he responded, to see what he said, to see what he did, how he addressed things. It's, it's just a, a thrill to, to see him in action, ministering, speaking, and uh, teaching, and claiming these astronomical claims to be Lord of the Sabbath, greater than the temple, greater than the Sabbath. Father, we know that is a reality, that Jesus is Lord. And so cause us, force us to face the issue of how we relate to him. Have we yielded to him as Lord, or are we resisting him as Lord? Father, I pray for any among us, anyone here, any of us who are resisting him, aggressively or passively, who are resisting him, may we let go of the resistance today and yield to him as he rightly is, King of kings and Lord of lords. May we willingly, joyfully surrender and yield to him. In his powerful name we pray. Amen.